Let's pray. Matthew 26 is where we'll be, and we'll look at uh, Easter in its fullness. Lord, Lord, we thank you for another day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And now we thank you that we get to lean in on something that you had recorded for our benefit. You didn't just do this work. You said it in, in pages with words so that we would never forget what you've done for us. And God, I just ask that you would help all of us because this has been told so many times and we've heard it in so many ways. Lord, may it not be old news. May it be good, fresh, life-giving news to us this morning as we worship you. And in, in hearing it again, Lord, would you show us what it means to follow you in a way that honors you. That's why we're here, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, a Amen. This is Holy Week. I don't know if you're from a church tradition, but uh, this has been marked out for 2,000 years as a different kind of week. And so Easter, we're doing in two parts because there's the resurrection part of it, but it's actually a week-long celebration and remembrance of what God's done. And so because this is new, uh, it's also called Passion Week. Maybe you've heard that before. Passion is simply from the word in Latin that means suffering. So it's really weird, but this is suffering week. Yet we celebrate it. And we'll get into why. And, and so I thought we'd just start, because we're going to look at Matthew 26, which shows us what happens on Thursday. Just map out the week really quick. And this may be new for you. If not, it's a good review. Palm Sunday is today, or Passion Sunday. And that's where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of worship for Israel. The Temple Mount is the most holy place on earth. And Jesus steps in and comes in, this time riding on a donkey. That's what we remember today. All of that is symbolic. We don't get it. The king would come in, the new king, riding in on that same kind of animal. And in this moment, we remember that the people, without even realizing it, step into what God's doing. They take off their coats. They line the streets so that, so that this animal doesn't even walk on the dirt. This is symbolic for a new king being inaugurated. Remember, Israel has no king. But Jesus, by their very worship, they're singing praise to God. It's as if this is the inauguration. And yet Jesus has not been chosen as a king, but he's God's king. And then Monday and Tuesday of this week, we remember that Jesus, he goes into the temple and he clears it out. You see, God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, and they've made it a den of robbers. And Jesus alone, as a king, cleans up God's house, and he teaches God's way. Remember that if you want to know what it means to worship God in the right way, we must come through Jesus. And then Wednesday is the remembrance of Judas. Two things are happening at the same time. Judas goes off to prepare for Jesus to be arrested in a scheme. At the same time, the other disciples are planning for the Passover meal that they're going to celebrate together. So on Wednesday, we remember that there's good and evil working at the same time. Judas is plotting for evil, but Jesus is planning for our good. And then on Thursday, we remember it's Monday, Thursday, not Monday, Thursday, which is always confusing, but this is ancient terms. It's just from the Latin, which means commandment. And on Thursday, we remember that final day when Jesus gathers his disciples in a room. They have a meal together, and the king comes to celebrate by picking up a towel. The king, Jesus, washes his disciples' feet. 
The king teaches them a new commandment. Remember he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. This is how people will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And he marks out the way that you and I are going to follow him, follow the king today. It's by our love. We remember that on Thursday. And, of course, we remember that Jesus, he breaks the bread. This is my body broken. And he passes the, the, the cup and he says, this is a cup symbolizing the blood of the new covenant. It's, it's my gift. It's not just a gift. It's my gift to you. And we remember these this week. And then obviously Good Friday, which is a play on words. There's nothing good about the brutal beating and, and destruction of the body of Jesus. He is crucified horribly. And we call it good. But we remember it's not because he was starting some insurrection or he was some false prophet. It's good because the Lamb of God slain for our good. And so we remember this all this week. And then we remember on Saturday that Jesus is in the tomb. He is really dead. We're afraid of death. And Jesus embraces it. And he really dies. And he's really in a tomb. And then on Resurrection Sunday or on Easter, we remember that he's Alive, And we want to celebrate all of this Passion Week. I encourage you, if you don't already do a Bible reading, you could go on the Bible app and download uh, different Bible readings which map out which gospel talks about which day and some reflections. I encourage you to make the most, not just of Friday, but of every day this week. Why? This was all done for you and for me. And so I want us to jump into Thursday, and this is where we are in Matthew 26, Thursday of this Passion Week, and it's in the evening after the meal. Remember, Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body, and then he passes the cup, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And after that meal, Jesus goes on a walk, and this is where we're going to pick it up, Matthew 26, verse 36, he goes to the Mount of Olives. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. He began to be, uh, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he comes back and he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I love the descriptors, right? Because their eyes were heavy. We don't even know what that means. But he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying what? The same exact thing. And then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look. The hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes 
my betrayer. There's so much going on. We could look at every day of the week. I want us to look at just three things this morning that we see from this evening encounter. The meal is done. Judas is gone. He's the one guy absent. Judas is with the soldiers. Judas has already chosen for money to say where Jesus is so they can meet him and arrest him. Judas isn't fully aware, I'm sure, of all that's about to happen, but he's already gone against Jesus. And in that last moment, because it ends with, let's go, here's my betrayer, Judas has come back, three things that we're going to see that I think can help us as we move on this week and remember Jesus. The first is Jesus pouring out his heart to the Father. I want us to see this because this has something to do with our life and our approach to God. Jesus What is he doing in this time of trouble? He's pouring out his heart to the Father. This isn't new. If you read the biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find out that Jesus often wakes up early in the morning, goes to a quiet place where no one else is, and he talks to his Father. Jesus, when he's going to choose new disciples, out of all the people he could choose, how is he going to choose those who are going to be set apart to be the apostles, the ones who are going to take the message to you and me, those who are going to write the Bible, those who are going to preach the good news? Jesus gets alone, and he's... He's with the Father. So often, the disciples are slightly annoyed because they can't find Jesus. Where is he? He's alone with the Father. This isn't new, which is a word to all of us. It's a side note, but it's a word to all of us. Because Jesus is naturally in the rhythm of going to be with his Father, when the moment of trouble comes, he just goes and he spends time with his Father. It's really hard to have an intimate relationship with someone that you don't know. And if you're in a moment of crisis, who are you going to go to? You're going to go to the people you know the most. If there's no relationship now, when I, when I hit a rock in a hard place, when I don't know what to do, who am I going to go to? If I don't know you, how can I go to you? But Jesus is with his Father rhythmically. It's part of his life. And if we will do that now, when trouble comes, when temptation hits, when we don't know what to do, the natural place is to go back to the Father. Well, that's where we see Jesus, and it's intensified. You, you see Jesus with the Father throughout the biographies, but you don't see this falling down. You don't see this agonizing. But what's happened, he's on the Mount of Olives. This is, if you've been to Jerusalem, if you've been to the Holy Land, this is across the valley. You could see the temple on the other side of, of the Kidron Valley, and there's this place where there were olives. That's why it's called the Mount of Olives, but he's in a section of it called Gethsemane. And this is intriguing. I think this says something to us. Don't want to overread into it, but Gethsemane means oil press. On this place, across from where you could see, like God's dwelling place, his temple, you have this place where the olive groves are growing. And then there are spots where they collect them and they press them and they crush them and create olive oil, which has so many things about it in the Bible. I just want to throw up like uh, an olive press because it may help you see the something similar to what Jesus may have seen. Probably didn't look exactly like that. But you, you put the olives in this huge stone thing and that big stone is so heavy. There's often a wood that goes, th- piece of wood that goes through attached to an animal and it goes around or people go around and you crush and you crush in waves the first press and the second press and it squeezes these olives and it pulls out this oil. And oil all throughout the first part of God's story is used to symbolize when you're going to have a new king anointed, guess what happens? They take the oil and they pour it over the new king. 
So Jesus is in a place, it's a normal place of olives, but it's a place of crushing. And can you now see Jesus? And he knows that just like the olives need to be crushed to bring out the life-giving oil, he knows more than anyone he's about to be crushed. And it's in this place that we see, and we remember, Jesus is called the Christ. The Christ is, is just a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And Messiah is the anointed one, the anointed king, God's deliverer, God's messenger, God's savior. Remember, Israel at this time has no king. Rome leads, Caesar is king, but a new one is coming. Now, everyone is expecting Jesus to rule, but no one realizes that the ruler is going to be crushed. And even though Jesus says it time and time again, my time is coming, my time is coming, we're going to Jerusalem, my time is coming, Messiah is going to suffer and die. They're like, no way, it's going to happen. And here he is. Look at verse 38 again. He says to them, my soul, it's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Why? He's about to die. Stay here. Keep watch with me. It's interesting that when Jesus is overwhelmed, I remember that he's a human this week. He's, yes, he's God, but he's not God robot. He's the God man. What do you do when you get the news you never thought you'd get? You call your friends, don't you? And Jesus in this moment, he's got his 12 closest disciples. One has gone to betray him and he pulls his three closest. And if you were to get a diagnosis today, what would you do? You're going to call the people you're closest to to support you. And Jesus is looking for support. His, his soul is overwhelmed. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to die. He knows it's about to happen. And look at how Mark puts it. I'll put it on the screen, Mark 14. Going a little farther, farther Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour, the hour of suffering might pass from him. He falls to the ground. It's the first time you see Jesus on his knees in prayer. Because it's an appropriate time to sit and pray. Now for the Jews, for the most part, if you're going to pray, you're going to pray standing with your eyes towards heaven. Why? Heaven is where my help comes from. God is seen as up, up above, right? Even though he's everywhere, we know that. But you look up to find your help. So a Jew is going to pray, looking up towards heaven. God, Yahweh, come and rescue and save. And here, in a contrast, Jesus is not looking up. He's looking at the ground. And there are times in life, my friend, where you don't even have the power to stand. And you don't even want to look up because things are so bad and things are so low. And we get the real Jesus here. This week we remember that when you sit alone in your bed at night and you don't know how you're going to make it one more day, Jesus is acquainted with that. He's not just the God of the highs where everything's going well, but he's the God who understands suffering because in his moment, knowing his friend is about to deny him and give him over to evil people to do evil things, Jesus is flat-faced on the ground saying, Lord, if there's any way for this hour to pass. I love the fact that Jesus asks for his heart desire. Do you know that when you and I pray, we are called to ask for our heart's desire. And Jesus knows that he's come to be the savior of the world. But he's like, hey, if there's any way other than this cross, can we go another way? 
And that's real Jesus, and that ought to be real you when you really pray. I don't think Jesus is looking for pat words. I think this is what you want to hear from me. I think he's looking for people on their face with words that kind of stumble out and don't make sense to anyone else, but he knows the words that come from the heart, and the heart of Jesus is to do the will of the Father, but he doesn't want to face the cross. He's a man who's acquainted just like us. He knows what we're going through. And we remember that this week because there are times when we don't know how to make it to where we want to be, but we come to God and we get on our knees and we cry out to him. That's, that's Jesus pouring out his heart. Look at what Luke says in his account. He says, Jesus being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. I love that. There's times where you pray and there's times where you pray, pray, Right? You know what I'm talking about. There's like before the meal, Lord, defatify the food or whatever you do. You know, like, Lord, thank you. Or, or Lord, this is the day you've made. I'm going to rejoice. I hope everything goes great. Go ducks, go beavers, go whoever, go whatever. There's like the lighthearted prayers that we pray. And then there's the God, if you don't step in, I'm not going to make it. And that's Jesus' prayer. Being in anguish, the word anguish is agony. It's the only time you see it in the Gospels. Jesus, this is crazy. Jesus is agonizing. We don't see him that way, right? We see him as the king, exalted, right hand of God the Father, coming soon for you and for me. But we forget that he's acquainted. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't even, you know, and so many, you know, scholars try to tease out what does that mean? Like, was this a physiological thing where there was sweat and it actually came out to the point of blood? I think it's missing the point. I do know this. There's intensity. Uh, maybe this is just me. Sometimes if I have a cold or hay fever or whatever going on, you, know, you blow your nose, you blow your nose, you blow your nose, you blow your nose, you blow your nose. Then you blow your nose and your nose is all messed up. You blow your nose and then you never just start bleeding. Maybe it's just me. I'm the weirdo. I don't. Okay, thank you. So, so you've, you've gone, you've gone, you've gone, you've gone, you've gone. And your you're just nose, the blood vessels are just so jacked up. It's just been so intense. You end up bleeding. And then the next few days, like, I'm, I'm sensitive to nosebleed. So, I'll like, out of nowhere, I'll just start bleeding, right? It's because it's been intense. And that's simple and foolish. Jesus is in prayer with intensity for hours. Can't you pray with me for just one hour? That's one section. Then he goes back to pray. Now, maybe you're a quick sleeper, but they're already snoring by the time he gets back, a.k.a. it wasn't a 30-second prayer. And then he comes back again a third time, and they're still... They're, so Jesus is agonizing. Ever had those nights where you just, you can't even... You, you're kind of sleeping, but you're not really sleeping because your head is mulling over what the morning's going to bring. It's like the day before the big exam, the day before the big interview, the day before the big conflict, the day before the big thing. And then you and I, we, are, we don't know what to do. I just want us to remember Jesus is pouring out his heart to the Father, and you and I, by the grace of God, are to do the same thing. When you and I go through our seasons, our, our oil press moments, our Gethsemane times, you and I are invited not to hide from God. Not to play games and, and throw up prayers that aren't felt from the heart. But look, if you have to get alone and call a few friends and say, look, we're not going anywhere. 
till we get a word from God, then that's what you need to do. That's what you're invited to do. And so sometimes we reach the end. Jesus is at the end of his life. And maybe that's not, you know, none of you are going to pay for the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus, literally. But we felt the end. You felt the end of a relationship. You felt the end of your finances. You've felt the end of a habit that went from small to big, and now it's enveloping your whole world. You may have feel like you're the end of your own health, and things have started to fall apart, or maybe what you thought was small is now something called a disease or a condition, and it doesn't look good. And Jesus just, like, I just need you to know, Jesus knows what we're going through, really. He alone is going to pay for something he didn't do. And so he's acquainted with our suffering. And when he does what he does, it teaches us, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Write these two words down. And it seems so simple. Jesus prays. He prays. And I think this is an area where God is stretching us. I think we haven't even, we haven't even scratched the surface of what it means to be a praying people because there are times where we're called to come to God again and again. I want you to notice this. Jesus prays about the same thing more than once. It's not one and done. And while Jesus said, when you come, you don't have to come with lots of words. Don't come babbling like the pagans. Because I already know what you need. What Jesus is not saying is three minutes with me once a week is sufficient. Move on. No, he's like, you don't have to impress me with more words. See, more words aren't going to impress me. But there are times when the most appropriate thing to do is to go and be with God. And we need to remember that we're invited, just like Jesus the Son is invited to bring that to the Father. You're invited to bring that thing to the Father. And I think we can grow in believing prayer because he knows, he knows what we're going through. So hear me, friends, don't, don't go to people alone. I mean, people are helpful. Go to people. But come to God with those issues. And the best case scenario is Jesus in the garden. He's with the Father alone, but he wants to be surrounded by a group of friends. And so the second thing I want us to see is not only is Jesus pouring out his heart to the Father, but I want, I want us to see how Jesus is disappointed by his closest friends. Some of us think that God doesn't know what we're going through. Not true. Look at what's going on right here in this scenario, verse 40. He returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Can't you watch for an hour? He goes a second time, verse 42, and prays. Verse 43, he comes back and he found them sleeping again. Verse 44, he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. One of the interesting things about being human is the blessing and the challenge of, of deep friendship. Have you found that to be true, that the people that you're closest to can bring you the greatest joy and the deepest pain. Maybe, maybe I'm alone in that. Like The people that you are closest to, they, whether that's a spouse or whether that's you know, children and parents, the people that you have the deepest relationship with can bring you to the highest high. And, and, and the way we know that is just look at a wedding day coming up real soon. Look at a wedding day. They're getting married this coming Saturday, um, which is the day that Jesus is in the tomb and has nothing to do with you guys. But just, I made a connection. Sorry. Uh, I'm in such in trouble now. Uh, I will be there officiating, so Jesus help me. Um, but, but I've totally lost my point. What was my point? Anyone remember? 
Thank you very much. Jesus is disappointed by his best friends. So there's pain and then there's beauty, the beauty of a wedding. But then you take those same set of relationships and take that same group of people and bring it to a funeral where that couple, after spending all that time together and the joy and the beauty of relationship, now one is gone. And you realize that the pain is that much deeper. And I want us to remember that relationships are risky, but Jesus, hear this, in the middle of what he's going through, takes the risk and he calls his friends, Peter, James, and John. I'm gonna be with the Father. I'm asking for a different way. I want a different path. But will you be, will you be with me? And in the moment of his biggest need, when Jesus asks his biggest favor of his closest friends, they're not with him. So, I think we see two things here. One, it's beautiful to invite people into what you're going through. We should. Jesus does the right thing. He is a real man, and he invites his closest friends, come with me, stand with me, and pray. And there are times when someone's going through something, and the greatest thing we could do is just be there and don't say a thing. He's not asking them to pray for him or instead of him. He's simply saying, I need, I need some people here. I'm like praying to the point of sweating like drops of blood because this is the worst day of my life coming ahead and I just want you there. And that's one of the great things about being part of a church family is that you shouldn't go through your stuff alone. You're never called to go through your stuff alone. You and I are invited to step into the presence of Jesus. Jesus is one with the Father. They're together. So we're invited to be in that presence but at the same time you're invited to have people around you with you, there, listening, caring, holding, crying, giving, sharing, and, and maybe not even speaking. But when we do that, we have to know that our friends are going to fail us too. Sometimes they don't step up. And Jesus knows how to bring healing. You know, he knows your disappointments. He knows the people that you were counting on who hurt you instead. He knows the people who should have been there who were asleep or absent or emotionally unattached. He understands all of these things and what he can do uniquely because he went through it is he can bring healing. He can bring healing. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean that those friends are like trustworthy again. He never reconciles with Judas. Judas takes his own life. But even with Peter who disappoints him again and again and again, do you remember on the other side of the cross and after he's risen, He's like, Peter, feed my lambs. Pe Peter, take care of my sheep. Peter, like you're in. Like I'm with you and you with me. And, and there's so, so Jesus reconciles even with these hurt relationships. And what he can do for you and for me is he can bring healing where you thought it was impossible. I think we remember that this week. This life that we live is filled with highs and lows real joys and real disappointments, but Jesus is acquainted with them all. So what do we do? We pour our heart to the Father. What do we do? We include a circle of friends, but we know that even that church, that group, that leader, that preacher, that whoever, hey, they're gonna disappoint you, but don't let that be a stumbling block. They disappointed Jesus too. Rather, we step into the moment and we remember the third thing about Jesus' Thursday night experience is Jesus saying yes to the Father's will. So in the middle of this, he's pouring out his heart and he's experiencing the pain of what he knows he's gonna go through and the pain of these people who are not with him. Remember, 
None of them, none of the disciples in the end are there with him. Uh, Most of them run away. Even Peter, who's there at the mock trial, there's a house in a courtyard and he's outside by the fire. You remember that within a stone's throw of Jesus, Peter is the one who's saying, no, I'm not one of his. And the servant girl's like, no, no, no. You have the same accent like Jesus. Yeah, you're from the same region. No, 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 I don't. No, no, I know you're one of his. And he curses and blurts out, I don't even know the guy. Leave me alone. Then Peter's heart breaks because he recognizes he's betrayed Jesus. Jesus is acquainted with all sorts of suffering. The suffering he's going to walk through and the suffering of feeling lonely in his moment of need. But Jesus is there saying, yes. Look at verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is a real human asking for a real alternative. Why? Because the soldiers are about to arrest him and he knows it's going to happen. It's been prophesied. And he knows that he's going to receive the beatings. And he knows that he's going to have his beard pulled out. And he knows he's going to have the 39 lashes and have his back opened up wide. And he knows that they're going to still, in mocking him, put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe. And they're going to blindfold him and punch him and say, prophesy, who hit you? And he knows they're going to humiliate him to the point of making him carry his own tree that they're going to nail him to. And none of us would want to go this route. All of this is an act of love. And Jesus, really human, saying, if there's another way, I'll take it, says, yes, not but I would will. This is what I want. And here's the crazy thing about God. He answers our prayers, but not always in the way we expect. You gotta remember, what we remember from Holy Week is the Father answers the prayers of the Son. He cries out, I want to, I want to, I want to, whatever you will. But if there's another way, and the Father obviously tells him, no to what you want, and yes to what I planned. You're going to go the way of the cross. And Jesus, in humble submission, teaches us the beauty of how we approach God. We're completely honest. Blurt it out. You're not going to offend him. But it's Jesus' attitude going in, his humble submission. God, I'm going to pour out my weight of what I'm thinking on you and What you want is what I want. So in the end, answer my prayer in a way that is according to your design. And I will go your way because I believe that your way is better. So the beauty of prayer is that we can ask for anything according to his will and he will hear it. And if he hears it, we will have the very thing that we ask for. And what that means is I ask knowing sometimes I'm on, sometimes I'm off. But God's never off. So if I come to him like Jesus, in the end, what I want is what you want. We see that he lives it out. And and he follows because he says, get up. Behold, our betrayer is coming. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. And so sometimes God does say to us, I'm going to have you go through it. We want over or around or the other direction. And sometimes God says yes. But other times he says, you know what? I'm not going to take that away yet. 
You just walk through it and watch how I am with you. So Jesus is not alone as he's being beaten. And, he's, and now his followers aren't there, but the presence of the Father is there, and he's not alone as, being, as he's being mutilated for our sin. And because of that, you and I recognize that we can learn to follow in the same footsteps. We can learn to be a people who pour out our heart towards God and learn to say yes to the Father's will. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Here's the beautiful thing. Because Jesus died and rose again, he's now given us his Holy Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit, the same presence of God, the same person of the Holy Spirit that is guiding and leading Jesus and sustaining him through it all is now present in your world and in my world. So you and I can go through similar. Now, none of us are asked to pay for our sins. Jesus only does that. But as you and I are called to walk through life as his followers, we have God's presence with us, and where we need strength, he provides it. Where we need wisdom, he provides it. Where we need a way of escape, he provides it. He's with us. And it's all because of Jesus, which is why the early writers, just days, months, years after Jesus rose again, began to reflect on what Jesus means to us. And look at what one of the writers, the writer of Hebrews says about, I think, this same experience about Gethsemane, oil pressing, crushing, suffering. Hebrews 5, 7 says this, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. I think that's reflecting back to Gethsemane. To the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So what does that mean for us? Look at verse 8. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest. Jesus, even though he's human, knows the way of the cross is going to be painful for him, recognizes and realizes what the Father is doing from the beginning. And what he's doing is creating a way for all of us. Jesus' suffering will lead to all of our rescue, all of those who follow him. And so in a real sense, there are times when God says to us, not paying for our sin, I want you to go through it because once you go through it with my presence, something greater is going to happen. And Jesus' one-time sacrifice for everyone means a great thing. And in the same way, you and I, when we go through seasons of suffering, have to remember that the God of love is bigger and he can take that one season or that one act or that one horror and even through it, he can make something beautiful. Now, in Jesus' case, it's the most beautiful. He becomes the source of salvation. So there's no other name under heaven by which all mankind must be rescued and saved. Jesus is our once-for-all sacrifice. But at the same time, look at what it says, verse 10. He was designated by God to be the high priest. Now, what's the role of the priest? I want to tie two pictures really quickly, and it's all about Easter week. Remember, this is the time when Passover is about to happen. And the picture is very vivid. At the temple, the sacrifice, the high priest is going to go in and give the sacrifice once for all, once in the year, for everyone's atonement, for your sin to be taken care of. The high priest is going to go to the most holy place and the sacrifice, the animal 
is going to pay for what you and I have done. Now we know because we see in Jesus, this had nothing to do with the animal. It had to do with the seriousness of sin. Sin keeps us from the love of God. Sin keeps us from the presence of God. And so what, what happens in Jesus is he becomes both the high priest and the sacrifice. Now what is the high priest? The high priest is the one who's qualified to say you can enter and worship. See, God wanted to bring us close. And so Jesus, through his suffering, is now qualified to say to anyone and everyone, you, no matter what you have done, you are now made clean and you can come to the presence of God. The priest isn't there to worship for you. The priest is there to help you to worship. And so Jesus uniquely says to any one of us here, no matter our background, you can be made qualified. Now, what do you, how do you qualify? Your sin needs to be dealt with. And this is where Jesus has this beautiful double role. Jesus on the cross becomes the sinless lamb. You see, it was the priest's role to come. You bring your perfect lamb. It's not like the priest paid for your sin. It's no, you took something that belonged to you and it was sacrificed on your behalf. And so all the priest did was to help you and qualify you to be clean and enter in the presence of God. And now Jesus, in this Passion Week, he qualifies us for the love of God. He qualifies us for the presence of God. He qualifies us to be with God now and forever. And Jesus does this for you. He's the sacrifice. So he alone can say, welcome into the presence of God because he alone took on the sin of the world, even your sin, even my sin. So Jesus in the struggle on Thursday knows that the will of the Father is that you would be brought back. And that's why this is Good Friday. And that's why this is Great Easter. And that's why this is so worth talking about more than once a year. And that's why we step into this week remembering because of Jesus, I can pour out my heart to God and I know I'll be heard. Because of Jesus, I don't just have to rely on friends. I don't have to just rely on church. I don't have to just rely on other people. I can rely on Jesus because friends fall away, but Jesus never fails. And because of this week, I can remember just like Jesus does the will of the Father, in Jesus, I can now do the will of the Father. So if you're a follower, you have no right to say, well, I can't help but mess up. I can't help but sin. I can't help but be wayward. That's absolutely not true. Because of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit to every one of his followers, you and I can now say, I can do the will of the Father even though I struggle. And even though I'm tempted and even though I want a different way, I can honor God and be a worshiper. And this morning... I want us to go that way. All right, we're only on Thursday. Technically, it's still Sunday. We're making our way towards Good Friday. And I want us to sit on Thursday night as we worship. Before we move on to the glory of Easter and remembering Jesus' love for us and his miraculous act of rising from the dead and giving life to all who follow him, I want us to ask the honest question, where do we need Jesus to step in? It's Thursday night, and we're wrestling as Jesus is wrestling. And there may be something in your world right now. There may be an experience you're going through. There may be a struggle that you, you just can't even figure out if there's ever going to be an end. Can we invite Jesus to step into that? And let's be like Jesus 
and let's get into the presence of the Father and let's gather with other people and let's call on him together knowing that once for all he took care of it, now he wants to step into our world and apply what he's done in real time. He's here for you. And I think he's brought you here this morning to remind you that there's no struggle too big, no sin too bad. There's no harrowing circumstance that he can't step in and rescue and save. We say, oh, it's already too late, it already happened. Well, wait a minute. You may be walking through the repercussions of it, but Jesus can bring grace and healing even in that situation. It's never, 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 never too late. Let's call on him. Why would we hide from him? Let's respond to him. So I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet and we're gonna worship God and we're gonna set this time apart. We're gonna do it a little different. We're gonna sing, we're gonna worship. We're gonna come to the bread and the cup and we're gonna call on him once. We're gonna call on him twice. We're gonna call on him three times. We're gonna not rush it because we know that Jesus made himself available to you and he's available now. That's why we eat and we drink and we take in because it's tangible and it's real and it's now and it's not just 2,000 years ago. It's not just history. So I'm gonna invite you to do something just to start us out. I wanna invite you to take your hands and now like the Jews did back in the day, we're going to stand in the presence of God. And I'm going to invite you to take your hands and either to put them up high or just put them out and just to invite God's presence to be real in your world. And then we're going to sing songs of praise together. And then we're going to go to the bread and the cup. And we're going to call on him together. But let's just start in the right place. Let's, let's walk where Jesus walked. Let's step away from the normal. Let's go to the garden. And you know the thing or the things or the person or the place, or the experience, or the whatever. And I'm going to invite you now to bring that to God in your own way. You already know what it is. You say, I already brought it to him this morning. Bring it again. He's listening. He's listening. He's longing for us to bring the very real things that are in our lives to him. Take a minute and just pour out your heart to God. You can whisper you could say it out loud. You could be silent. He even knows our thoughts. He knows our emotions. He knows it all. In a minute here, the band's going to lead us in worship, and we're going to experience God's presence together.